Just a reminder, Republicans have no evidence of wrongdoing by the president during their months-long investigation into Hunter Biden's business dealings. But this has nothing to do with following the facts. Instead, this is political posturing to appease Donald Trump and his base of voters. This is a desperate attempt to hurt President Biden politically. Even other Republicans will admit that there is no evidence. The White House called today's actions politically motivated and said Republicans have produced no evidence. <laughs> no evidence. And the Democrat media not looking to find any evidence. And anytime they get some, oh, the, 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 that's baseless. You give them some more evidence. Oh, that's been debunked. Here's some more evidence. Oh, that's Russia disinformation. There is so much evidence that they've got on Biden. The problem is we don't run the country. Uh, big tech runs the country. Big media runs the country. Democrats run the country. Republicans right now run the House of Representatives. And that's it. That's it. Uh, but they keep coming up with evidence. And just because it receives very little attention doesn't mean it's not evidence and doesn't mean it doesn't sink the Bidens ultimately. Now, the House Oversight Committee, they have been doing a tremendous job. Now, one of the criticisms, though, of them was, well, this is all politically motivated. They just want to hurt Joe Biden for uh, reelection. That's really what it's all about. Um, no. Questions about Joe Biden have been raised for years by people not on that committee. Uh, I have to go back. Here's Joe Biden on January 20th, 2017. He just left the vice presidency. This is hours after the inauguration of Pence. He's going on Amtrak to go back to Delaware. But he's not going <laughs> to he's not going to retire. He's going to make some serious money. Think about it. Joe Biden, 75 years old on that day. He knows nobody thinks he's going to be president. Even Joe, he can't see that happening. So he gets aggressive. He gets greedy. They start calling in all these chits. Hunter hitting up that Chinese guy. Where's the money? Where's the five million dollars you promised us? Uh, all kinds of funds coming in through all kinds of weird ways. A two hundred thousand dollar check from his brother the same day. Uh, he gets paid off from some failing corporation. That money transfer from China to Joe Biden's house. Yeah, two hundred fifty thousand dollars was wired to Joe Biden's house from China uh, in twenty nineteen. Uh, what else? Bobolinsky, Tony Bobolinsky. This guy has been forgotten somehow, not by me. I was introduced to Joe Biden by Jim Biden and Hunter Biden. At, and a, at my approximately hour-long meeting with Joe that night, we discussed the Biden's history, the Biden's family business plans with the Chinese, with which he was plainly familiar, at least at a high level. On numerous occasions, it was made clear to me that Joe Biden's involvement was not to be mentioned in writing, but only face to face. You know what this is? This is evidence. And he's talking about a meeting that he had with Hunter Biden, with James Biden, the brother, and with Joe Biden at that hotel in Los Angeles in the summer of 2017, when Joe is an ex-vice president and looking to make big, big money because nobody's watching him. He's an ex-vice president. Now, these concerns go way, way, way back. Maybe not in the government, but commercially, people are like, what's going on here? Here's what the House Oversight Committee put out today. It's an email that goes all the way back to 2018. Now, it's written, yeah, June 26, 2018. Now, we, the name has been redacted, but it's written by a bank employee. 
somebody who investigates things at the bank, not a federal officer. This is not somebody who works for the government, okay? You got to understand that. That's important. And this may get dry. This may get a little bit complex. And that's what the left is counting on. Oh, no one's ever going to understand this stuff. No one's ever actually going to go through this letter. It's important. So one bank examiner who works in the private sector alerts his colleagues to the following. Hudson West wire transfer order, $1 million to Owasco, importance high. Those, um, the Owasco and the rest, these are LLCs set up by Hunter, right? Remember all those LLCs that they were funneling money through? This is what the House Oversight Committee has told us, and this is what they're proving. Uh, let's see here. Since the initial funding of $5 million from Northern International Capital Holdings, HK Limited, uh, a Chinese company, uh, it has been noted that uh, there was no loan agreement document submitted. What's happening here? $5 million, Hunter's account, it looks like. They say, well, this money is from a loan. Ordinarily, they would have documentation of that. The bank examiner notices that. He tells his colleagues. He also says, this is a high-risk situation. What's happening here? This looks like money laundering. He notes that from this $5 million that came from China, what happens to it? 16 wires ranging from $157,000, $494.19, to $400,000, totaling $2.9 million plus to clearing services, to Owasco, to all kinds of LLCs. Now, that's wrong, and they know it. We find it unusual, the email goes on, that approximately 58% of the funds were transferred to the law firm in a few months. The frequency of the payments appear erratic. They also say that Hudson West, the three LLC, uh, does not appear to have any services rendered. They don't do anything. This company is getting all this money and they're not doing anything for it. Something is up. Now, the bank examiner, who again works in the private sector, and this is back in 2018, knows who he's dealing with. Robert Hunter Biden is the son of the former Vice President Joe Biden. That's not lost on them, and they see, well, they see things in the newspaper, like allegations by Hunter's ex-wife that there were financial concerns about his extravagant spending on his own interests, drugs, strip clubs, prostitutes, etc., which may put his family in a deep financial hole. Yeah, I think her name was Kathleen. She has said that in various papers, court papers, that his habits put them at a real risk. The bank can tell this money is not being used appropriately, and by law, they have to report it. More recent negative news indicates China targeting children of politicians and purchase of political influence through sweetheart deals. It's amazing. Whoever this person is, this examiner, he knows more than the mainstream media. He's more, he's savvier. He's more proactive. <laughs> he's well-read. Specifically, Hunter Biden's $1.5 billion deal with the Chinese state to establish a private equity firm in which they manage the funds over time and make huge fees. The management company's purpose is to invest in companies that benefit the Chinese government. The activity on the account appears unusual with no current business purpose, and it may require reevaluation of blank. And they're worried about, well, they're calling this person a customer. 
They have a problem with them. And it makes sense. And this is the private sector. James Comer didn't write this. This was written in 2018. Again, Joe is not yet running for president. He's an ex-vice president. They want to make as much money as they can. Remember these dates. Joe left the White House on January 20, 2017. Left the vice presidency, that is. Starts running for president April 2019. Two years, three months, and five days. Well, to make as much money as possible because no one is watching for the most part, and they're not even watching now. When Joe was president, uh, I'm sorry, vice president, he had to be much more discreet. Remember Cafe Milano? Vice President Joe Biden shows up with these Kazakh businessmen and all kinds of characters. They knew that Joe shouldn't be there, so they had a cover story. Hunter wrote it in an email. Okay, this is from Hunter. The reason for the dinner is ostensibly to discuss food security. Dad will be there, but that between us for now. Ostensibly to discuss food security. That means the real reason is not food. Hunter was dabbling in, you know, feed the world, feed the poor, right? Those kinds of uh, do-good programs, and they're good, but he did, his heart wasn't into it. He was, he was out for himself. Right after this meeting, we know, we know that he received a sports car, $142,000 from a Kazakh oligarch for a Porsche. And we know that from, well, Devin Archer, his close friend. Uh, he told under penalty of perjury. What is the testimony? Why did Rosemont Seneca Bohai receive this $142,000 payment from Rakashev? It was for a car. Devin Archer said, whose car? For Hunter's car. Of course it would be. All right. Let's go back to this email. I know. It's dry. I know. It's, it, does it scream? You know, it, it, does it leap off the page? Mm, kind of, but you got to read the thing. And they're counting on people being bored by it, not being able to comprehend it, for it being, eh, who cares? Uh, the New York Times doesn't cover it, right? They're counting on us blowing it off as well, on not treating this like a, the smoking gun that it is. You know, go back to Russia, Russia, Russia. Remember that scam? Every little infinitesimal thing that the FBI leaked or some guy at CNN just made up became major breaking news. Who remembers uh, something about Malta? M Malta, it's a country somewhere, I think. Check this out. I was most interested to learn what apparently this report is going to say about this, this mystery man from, from Malta, uh, Joseph Mifsud. This is looking at a lot of different characters, uh, Joseph Misfood, uh, Misfood, an interesting professor who had contact with George Papadopoulos. The role of this Maltese academic, Joseph Mifsud, who vanished two years ago. Mifsud told acquaintances that the Russians had dirt on Hillary Clinton. One of those acquaintances, George Papadopoulos, relayed Mifsud's claim to an Australian diplomat. All right, Malta, Malta. And Eric Prince was in Malta. Now, Misfood actually might have some real dirt on Joe Biden. But Russia, as you know, turned out to be fake. But they treat it like it was real. This is real, and they're treating it like it was fake. Got it? Okay. Let's bring in the expert. Congressman James Comer joins us, chairman of the House Oversight Committee. Thanks to his committee, we have that email that we just went through from a bank investigator to uh, colleagues at the bank. 
Well done, sir. Uh, good evening, and how are you, first of all? I'm well. We're continuing to uh, follow the money. So this is a big deal. It's, it's, it's huge. It's not getting much coverage, as usual, from the mainstream or even conservative media. I'll get to that in a moment. But overall, the significance and what's special, in your opinion, about this email? Well, it uh, validates everything that we've been saying about the Biden, that they had shell companies, that they were receiving wires from China, that they need to be investigated for potential bribery, for being uh, compromised by our biggest enemy in the world. That's what the bank examiners thought, too. They saw a $5 million wire going to a fake company. So they, I'm sure, contacted Hunter Biden because that's what you do before you file a suspicious activity report or a bank violation. We talked about those on your show in the past. And they said, what is this $5 million wire? And Hunter Biden apparently says it's a loan. Remember, that's all we've talked about is loans. Every The, the money, every time we find money to Joe Biden or Hunter Biden, they claim it's a loan. This is something that uh, we assumed was a legitimate wire. But no, according to Hunter telling the bank, it's a loan, which that in itself is tax evasion and everything else. And then uh, the bank said, well, okay, if it's a loan, We'll provide the loan documents. We need that for the bank examiners. And they couldn't provide any loan documents because it wasn't a loan. Then they went on and they watched it over time. And they said, look, 58% of this money went into other shell companies that funneled into the Bidens that they're claiming as fees. So if you manage a real hedge fund or private equity fund, your normal fees would be between 2 and 4%. And Hunter Biden's claiming he took 58% of this investment, which he tells the bank is a loan, for fees. This whole thing shows it's a scam. And the thing that ties Joe Biden in it is the $40,000 check that we showed from Jim Biden to Joe Biden came from this $5 million wire once it was laundered through all the Biden shell companies. So uh, how about this theory, uh, Congressman? These transactions, this email was generated off of, uh, they saw suspicious stuff in 2017, August 2017. Mm -hmm. I feel like Joe Biden believed he was an ex-vice president at that point. He wasn't going to be president. He was 76 years old at that point. uh, And he got very greedy and he got very kind of a little bit reckless. He's like, well, no one's going to be looking. I'm not a vice president anymore. And he got bolder and sloppier. Am I onto something? I think you're exactly right. I mean, the chances of him being president uh, when they started receiving the money from China was zero. In fact, he set all this up while he was vice president. We've proven that through depositions, through emails. Uh, We know that the money, that WhatsApp message, which triggered all this, where he said, my father's sitting beside me. We want you to fulfill your commitment. The commitment was made while Joe Biden was vice president. So now it's payday. And again, Joe Biden thinks he's never going to be in the in the public life again. Nobody's going to find out about this. And that that's what it was. It was being paid off by our enemies from China. And even the bank examiner said, look, we know China tries to uh, buy off politicians through compromised children. And the email said Hunter Biden is in financial trouble. He's on drugs. He's vulnerable. And he's the son of the vice president. And he's received five million dollars. Uh, for reasons unknown to us, uh, through a fake company, which that alone is is criminal. Yeah. I mean, that's money laundering. So all the things that we've been saying that the Democrats on the House Oversight Committee, that the mainstream media said were conspiracy theories, 
this email shows that this bank examiner believed exactly what we've been telling the American people for the last eight months. And it's a bank examiner. He's got .com next to his name, not .gov. And he's mm -hmm. sending it to .com people, colleagues. They're yep. a business. And this is striking them as mm -hmm. weird. But here is the problem as I see it. Because, look, there are people who are frustrated. Okay, you know, when is something really going to happen? You have produced smoking gun after smoking gun after smoking mm -hmm. gun. The problem as I see it... Republicans are only in charge of the House of Representatives, like in America. That's it. Not the Senate, not the White mm -hmm. House, not big media, not big tech. You guys don't run the world. We don't run the world. Therefore, this has been uh, ignored. And I know people want to see more results. And I think that's why, because we're just we're in the minority. How do you, you know, kind of blow this up? Because... Right now, it's, I know it's methodical, and that's great and all that stuff, but, you know, what do we got to do for some real action? Well, you know, hopefully we can uh, go as far as we can go in the House of Representatives, and that's, uh, as you know, a challenge. It's a challenge to get to 18 on, on anything. But with respect to holding the Biden accountable, when we conclude this investigation, which hopefully will be before next spring, uh, I'm confident there are going to be criminal referrals in that. Uh, if we get a new administration next year with a with a credible law abiding attorney general, then the Bidens are in deep trouble because they're you know, they've committed many uh, crimes that any other American whose last name is not Biden would already be in prison for money laundering, tax evasion, wire fraud, securities fraud. The list goes on and on and on. So we're going to do everything in our ability to hold the Bidens accountable, despite the fact that we don't have a Senate that's working with us at all. Mm. We sure as heck don't have a, a, a White House. Uh, and the media continues to attack me for having the audacity to, to investigate uh, who I believe is, is the most corrupt president in, in the history of America. But we're going to continue to present the facts to the American people. That's the best that we can do is present the truth to the American people and let Joe Biden explain this to the people struggling to pay for their groceries, struggling to put gas in their tank. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, his family received $20, 30000000 million from our enemies around the world and didn't pay a penny of taxes on it. And you don't need to worry about that. You just need to keep working, yeah. trying to make ends meet. Congressman Comer, thank you. Good luck with the work. There is, I would guesstimate, a million times more evidence against Joe Biden uh, than any of those phony charges against Donald Trump. Back then when he was president, the impeachment and this stuff now, this is real evidence. That's fake. And uh, it's it's a shame it's not getting more attention. But I think uh, I think everything will work out in the end in a pretty spectacular way. Good luck, sir. Many thanks. Thank you so much. Well, you bet. Be right back. Throughout his career, Jack Smith has built a reputation as an impartial and determined prosecutor who leads teams with energy and focus to follow the facts wherever they lead. As special counsel, he will exercise independent prosecutorial judgment to decide whether charges should be brought. Uh, wrong on just about every count there. Jack Smith has uh, turned out to be the weirdo we all suspected him to be. Jack Smith is one, uh, I'm sorry, deranged guy. And he was picked precisely because, well, I think that he doesn't play by the rules. And the attorney general did not play by the rules in making Jack Smith a special counsel. There are rules, a lot of them in the federal government. And when you appoint a special counsel, 
The rule says this, an individual named a special counsel shall be a lawyer with a reputation for integrity and impartial decision-making. Remember that one. And there's also this, the special counsel shall be selected from outside the United States government. Well, they tried to fool us with this one. He's at The Hague. He's in the Netherlands. He doesn't work. You guess who he's being paid by? The Department of Justice by the U.S. federal government. He was over there in the Netherlands or wherever The Hague is, and um, he was still getting a DOJ paycheck. He was detailed to The Hague by the DOJ, still working for Uncle Sam. The other thing, the reputation for impartiality, you know about this, right? His wife produces movies for Michelle Obama. Now, you can produce movies for Michelle Obama if you really want to be bored to death and uh, hang around Michelle. Uh, but you can't be married to the special counsel because that would make you not impartial, right? At least the appearance of partiality, and that's a problem. So uh, why do I bring Jack Smith up? Ah, yes, Jack Smith is back in the headlines because, well, not really the headlines, but, you know, some of us have noticed a search warrant a ludicrously broad search warrant issued, uh, sent to Twitter, the company Twitter. And it's all about, or I guess it's called X now, real Donald Trump's Twitter account. Now, a lot of this thing is redacted, but what we could find in this makes it, I think, uh, illegal, totally outrageous, and but no one's doing anything about it. Check it out. What are they looking for? The content of all tweets created, drafted, favored, liked, or retweeted by the subject account. The subject account is Donald Trump's account. How many things he retweeted? You know, he retweeted things from ordinary people. I'll show you that in a second. But he, he retweeted thousands of ordinary citizens. Their information will now be seen by Jack Smith. There's also this. Uh, all users who have followed, unfollowed, muted, unmuted, blocked, or unblocked the subject account. Well, there are a lot of people out there, even some Democrats who may have blocked Donald Trump. Jack Smith wants their private information as well. There's another in this warrant issued by a judge. Twitter users who have favorites or retweeted tweets posted on the account. What? This is essentially... Everybody, everybody on social media falls in this category. I mentioned real people getting retweeted by the president. It's true. People loved it, by the way. It became kind of a phenomenon. New York Times even reported on it. Uh, what happens when ordinary people end up in Trump's tweets? I'm a little bit less of a wallflower than I used to be, Mr. Rawls said, crediting Mr. Trump's retweet. I guess you could say... I was more emboldened. Okay, Trump retweeted somebody. That's nice. It isn't often that regular people have an opportunity to be heard concerning national issues. That's fantastic. And now those people, <laughs> they're essentially being subpoenaed by Jack Smith. Me, I've been retweeted by President Trump a couple of times. My Twitter account. Yeah, thank you, Donald Trump. It happened. So my information is going to be floating around the Department of Justice, Jack Smith. And what about all the people who liked and retweeted Donald Trump stuff? You know how many people that is? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. 25,000 25, retweets. 220,000 This is data mining. And it is insane. But it's just the kind of behavior we'd get from a prosecutor who thinks he can indict a president twice and not have to answer any questions about it. 
Watch this. When he did the unprecedented, he thought he didn't have to take one question from the media. I'm deeply proud to stand shoulder to shoulder with them. Thank you very much. Why Florida, sir? Why did you decide to bring... These women and men are public servants of the very highest order, and it is a privilege to work alongside them. Thank you. Why didn't you charge any of the other co-conspirators? <laughs> the media didn't exactly uh, demand a lot of answers. There's one guy, hey, what did you do? This is the way it's supposed to happen when prosecutors uh, indict somebody, when it's a big controversial case. Most of them want to answer questions like this. Practicing basic internet safety is critical to keeping everyone safe and ensuring that individuals who seek to do harm maybe won't have that chance next time. Anybody have any questions? I am going to turn it over to the chief to talk a little bit about the police response. We'll then hear from um, President Albright, and then I'll be happy to take a few questions. That's the way it works in a democracy, right? That guy, Jack Smith, just walking out of the room. Who does he think he is? He's on a mission. It's almost a, I don't know, it's really bad for the country. But we're going to win. I don't know what it's going to look like in the end, but they're not going to get away with it. I'll be right back. Information. Truth. Is freedom. Is Newsmax. It's real news for real people. Hey, guys, it's Carson. Imagine this. It's the dead of night. You're lying in bed. Suddenly you hear something go bump. What is your next move? Well, you reach for the ultimate solution, the new MC-14 tip-up pistol from EAA Corp. and Gerson. This game-changing firearm is perfect for those with limited hand strength, disabilities, or anyone seeking a comfortable and user-friendly alternative. Picture this. The MC-14T features an ingenious tip-up barrel design, making loading and unloading a breeze. Say goodnight to struggles while racking a slide. Just load the tip-up barrel, lock it back down, and you're ready to fire. The MC-14T is chambered in 380 ACP, boosting a 13 plus one round capacity. With its reliable stopping power and compact size, it's an excellent choice for personal defense, complete with accessory rail and ambidextrous safeties. Experience a new level of convenience. Available with all EAA Corp distributors, starting at an incredibly affordable MSRP of just $498. Don't miss out on this game-changing firearm. Visit EAACorp.com today. That's EAACorp.com. Hey, did you hear? Henry Kissinger dead at the age of 100. Wow, kind of larger than life. This is an interview we did just a couple of weeks ago. Very active right up until the end. Of course, he became internationally famous under Richard Nixon. He was uh, first national security advisor, then I think secretary of state. He actually for a time held those jobs at the same time. An academic from Harvard University, um, also worked for Nelson Rockefeller for a time, came to Richard Nixon's attention as a, a bright young man who uh, might be able to help him get elected president with position and policy papers, possibly made an even greater mark on the world in the private sector through his firm, Kissinger Associates. Wow. Um, 
I actually really liked him. I met him several times, but let's, yeah, here we are. And that's Mr. Wolfson, I believe, uh, used to be with the World Bank on the other side. He was very helpful to my dad, actually. They had a pretty good relationship. Um, this is Henry Kissinger. It might be his last interview that we actually played this portion on the show. He was talking about uh, the dangers of illegal immigration and unchecked, I believe, unchecked refugees flowing into Europe. Take a look. It was a grave mistake to let in so many people of totally different cultural and religious and concepts because it creates a pressure group inside each country that does that. Wow, Richard, it's, it's, it's wild. Uh, I thought he would never die. Henry Kissinger, dead at the age of 100. Well, we lost a legend and much more on his uh, life, uh, I think tomorrow and later tonight. Rest in peace. He loves the Constitution. He fights for what's right. He hates the bad guys. He's a freedom warrior. He's your freedom warrior. Watch Carl Higby every weekday on Newsmax. January 6th. You know how many strange things that happened there and uh, we don't have the answers to the questions? The questions actually haven't even be at, been asked uh, by the January 6th committee. That little cop there waving people in, what was that all about? What about the police officers who just stood there as protesters came inside? Hello, welcome to the Capitol. And why did those three cops just walk away? Walk away moments before Ashley Babbitt was shot. There they are, everything's fine. And then they decide to uh, take a coffee break. There they go. And moments later, all hell breaks loose and Ashley Babbitt is shot. Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed woman. And this is somehow okay? The January 6th committee did not even ask these questions. They never mentioned the name Ashley Babbitt. Uh, it was such a sham. And we'd like to know a lot more. I believe our next guest does as well. His, this is Congressman Barry Loudermilk, Republican of Georgia, chairman of the subcommittee on oversight under the House Administration Committee. Welcome back, sir. Um, how are you? Good, Greg. How are you doing this evening? Good. But terribly frustrated about January 6th. And can you tell us uh, the progress you've made and, and what you want to do in uncovering the real truth about what happened that day? Well, you hit exactly what our objective is, is get to the truth and to provide transparency to the American people. You know, when uh, then Speaker McCarthy appointed me as chair of this special subcommittee to report directly to him um, to get to the bottom of what really happened on January 6th and try to explain the massive security failure we had at the Capitol. And so uh, one of the aspects of taking on this committee was we were to receive all the documents that the select committee on January 6th had acquired during their, as you called, sham investigation, which is clearly an investigation. They had a predetermined narrative and everything that they were doing was to come up with their predetermined narrative. Well, uh, what we expected was to receive the database of which they used to house all these documents. But what we got was uh, uh, over a million pages of printed documents 
and then a couple of hard drives with some uh, PDFs and some other documents on it. So it took us a while to go through trying to figure out what we had. Real quickly, we started realizing uh, we don't have all the documents. The first thing we figured out was we had none of the videos of the depositions or the transcribed interviews. We knew they existed, and they had used those in some of the uh, uh, hearings, but we had none of those. Then we came across a couple of letters that uh, the chairman of the select committee, Benny Thompson, sent to the White House and Department of Homeland Security, telling them that he was sending some documents to them so they could keep. These were House documents. They were not executive branch documents. They were interviews that were done with White House personnel and Secret Service personnel. And they were House documents. And by the rules of the House, they were to actually keep, the committee was supposed to preserve all documents that were used in their official capacity. So we already knew that there were some documents, uh, videos that they did not keep. Now we're finding out that they sent documents for someone else to have, presumably to keep us from having them. So I immediately wrote letters to, uh, this was in June when we figured it out, we wrote letters to the White House and Homeland Security demanding that they return these House documents. Never heard anything from uh, Homeland Security. We're following up with them again. The White House, after we prompted them again and you know, was a little more heavy-handed, they decided to send us documents heavily redacted. Huh. And so that brings the question is, why, why are you sending back House documents, as you can see there? This is what we received from the White House, so heavily redacted you can't <laughs> see what's in it. So yeah. my question is, what is it that was appropriate for a Democrat-led House to actually see, but not a Republican-led House? that you are going to uh, redact so heavily we can't actually see the information that's in there. Crazy. Very quickly on this one question, then I have another. Uh, aren't there laws <laughs> that say they have to keep these papers you know, with them, like the archivist, the congressional archivist? They, they can't just, this is their property. They have to maintain it. Well, they're, they're trying to put Donald Trump in jail over stuff like this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, but uh, Nancy uh, Pelosi sent a precedent when she tore up the, uh, the president's speech on live television, which was a House document she destroyed in front of everyone and nothing mm. happened to her. Wow. Uh, but yes, there, there are House rules that say that you have to preserve uh, and archive all documents that are used in official proceedings. And I wrote a letter to Benny Thompson saying, where are these documents? Why did you not preserve these? And he basically responded saying, we decided what we wanted to keep and what we didn't. Totally crazy. Uh, I want to ask you about this, the Capitol Police. Of course, there are great cops, but there are some crummy cops. And this was a security failure. And we see these guys who were so overtly political. They've all written books, at least three of them, including Harry Dunn, who's on the right there. And I believe he's actually still on duty on Capitol Hill. He is. He tweets things all the time that are incredibly partisan, that are borderline threatening. Look, he can do that if he wants to not work on Capitol Hill with a gun, by the way. I find it very disturbing that he works there to this day with this kind of attitude and his track record. How do you feel about that? How do your, how do your colleagues feel about that? And can anything be done? Well, I think more importantly, what do the frontline officers in the Capitol Police feel about that? I can tell you they're very upset. Yes, there have been uh, several violations of ethics uh, as well as uh, Capitol Police policies and uh, House rules uh, by uh, this officer. And we are looking into that very deeply right now. There is violations and accusations made against him, but violations of the Hatch Act. 
where he was lobbying members of Congress while he was on official duty actually carrying a weapon with him. Um, and so that's one of the areas that we're probing deeply. Uh, that equates back to the security failure. We know that there was an intelligence failure. We know that the intelligence was either suppressed or through incompetence was not passed along to former Chief Sund. Therefore, the frontline officers were not ready for what happened. In fact, we have uh, videos of some of them saying, guys, we were set up here. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, there was a, a definite management issue. We have started probing into that. As uh, you may know, we actually called in uh, former acting chief y Yogananda Pittman to do a transcribed interview. And we gained a lot of information on that. We'll have more uh, coming out on that as well as some other things that we're probing right now. Look, we're just getting to the facts. We're getting to the truth, and we'll report on that as soon as you know as we uncover some of these things. But in the end, we have to secure the Capitol. The American people deserve to know what really happened on January 6th, and those who may have yeah. done some things wrong, they need to be held accountable. And please, sir, I am counting on you. We are counting on you to pursue the matter of Ashley Babbitt. Uh, is that part of you? That certain right? I can tell you that uh, there's little, a lot, there's not a whole lot of evidence because there were no security cameras there, but we have met regularly with her mom. She's regularly in our office as well as a team of folks who are very interested in what happened to her. And I can say, yes, we are looking into that very deeply. And uh, of course, everyone has concerns over what happened that day. And so again, that's something we're looking to get to the truth of what happened there, uh, why did the officer determine to pull the trigger at that moment? I'm not saying he was uh, justified or not, but this is one of the things that we're objectively looking at every one of these things without a political bias. Right. And when you look at it objectively without a political bias, that really makes a lot of people very nervous. Congressman Loudermilk, we appreciate it very much. Good luck with your inquiry. Please keep us posted and we'll be right back. You're looking at the University of California at Berkeley. Beautiful campus, beautiful facilities, such a beautiful place, but it's pulsating with anti-Semitism, we believe. We've seen actually overt displays of it in recent days, all kinds of hideous pro-terrorist uh, demonstrations, but it's apparently been long-standing and unchecked anti-Semitism, and a lawsuit has been filed against the university uh, by a series of Jewish groups who have had enough. One of the plaintiffs is well known to our Newsmax audience, Thane Rosenbaum, Middle East an analyst and distinguished professor at Toro University. Sir, welcome and uh, congratulations on this litigation. I think it needs to happen. How are you? I'm fine, Greg. Thanks for calling attention to this important story. It's a lawsuit. There are other lawsuits like this uh, that have been being brought under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act and the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution against University of Pennsylvania and other schools. But you're quite right. Uh, Berkeley is, is a serial violator of the principle of equal protection when it came to Jews on campus. What's going on? We see the die-ins. We see the chants. We see uh, Jewish students being harassed and cornered. But you say longstanding. Tell us a little bit more about about the anti-Semitism that you believe was occurring even before October 6th. Well, Greg, the complaint, 
Yeah, Greg, the complaint is makes it very plainly stated, and I don't. The, the university officials don't even deny this. That's the part that's most fascinating. They're acknowledging that there's anti-Semitism on campus. They recognize this, but there have been students and faculty have been threatened, uh, gas the Jews, kill the Jews. Uh, there's been a, 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 a pro-Zionist student who was draped in an Israeli flag, and he was punched and hit over the head with a metal bottle. Uh, there's been all kinds of acts of violence. And, and specifically, there's something that took place that I'm a part of. I'm listed as a plaintiff on this, which is that 23 student organizations at the law school. Are you sitting down, Greg? Get ready. 23 organizations on campus essentially said that if you are a Zionist, if you don't believe in the destruction of the Jewish state, if you don't denounce Zionists, you're not welcome in our group. You can't join our journal. You can't participate in our legal clinic. And even though my, myself, Thane Rosenbaum, I have actually spoken at the law school before, he can no longer be brought. So he can't be, you can't bring him to campus. I'm radioactive because I'm a Zionist. Wow. And we're talking about like clubs like that have nothing to do with foreign affairs. The chess club, for it's instance. That, you know, it's they, worse than that, Greg. These are clubs that we're saying, even if you come on here and you don't write about Israel, even if you write about television, we don't care. The fact of your identity, if you identify with the Jewish state, you're not welcome on in our group. Uh, not too long ago, uh, these students were in high school. My gut tells me they weren't like this in high school. Uh, the professors, uh, obviously, they're like this. It's, where does this hate come from? My question to you, where? I didn't know this was happening. I am totally shocked. I thought, you know, everybody knew how ugly this is and wrong and never again. But I was wrong. Uh, where do you think this comes from? Look, Greg, the Greg Kelly audience at Newsmax is really smart. They know that a lot of this is also tied to anti-Americanism. Uh, they're the same. It's an attack on Western culture, Western values, liberal values, the Enlightenment, uh, you know, that some of this started with, you know, faculty members, even in high school, that, you know, this related to Marxist thinking, uh, the destruction of a capitalist society. Yeah. So, so much of this is tied together. And I think, again, I think the Newsmax audience really recognizes that these assaults against Israel. Look, we're seeing a demonstration, Greg, of the Arab street that was not seen in America. Now we're seeing it everywhere, right? Uh, not far from where I live, uh, I understand there's yeah. a protest going on in the lighting of the Christmas tree right. in Rockefeller Center. Uh, there have been the Thanksgiving Day Parade was yeah. ruined by protesters. Well, there it wasn't quite ruined. Uh, they tried, they tried, but uh, we still had a true. decent parade. Look, uh, it's a longer conversation. I want to know more. Social media facilitated it, but uh, I'm still... I'm very saddened, but uh, we are resolute and we're seeing who's who now. And that has been clarifying. Thane Rosenbaum, we thank you. This, this is uh, pending in federal court. Please keep us posted. Uh, very quickly, what do you want to happen as a result of this lawsuit? For them to pay up to, for them to what? Immediately change your policies and force your uh, anti-discrimination laws. They have enforceable yeah. mechanisms there. You're not allowed to do this. But you're, you're allowed, allowed to do this against someone, entities that have white privilege. And yeah. that's really what this is about. We don't protect white privilege and Jews. 
because they're perceived as privileged. Thane Rosenbaum, we thank you very much.